God gives a word picture of the death of the nation of Egypt. This is fascinating. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hember. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the 31st chapter of Ezekiel. It is amazing. And as we do this, think in mind about getting a Bible guide. We'll tell you how later. Corey? I'm taking a look at how God describes the leadership of his people and how he chooses to describe himself in Ezekiel. Ryan? Well, Ezekiel makes a number of allusions to the Garden of Eden. So today we're going to search for that long lost Garden of God. All right. Very good. Uh, Janice? It's our fun-filled Friday question, and I can ask a question anywhere from Ezekiel chapter 16 through 33, so I hope your reading is up to date. And, and there's a lot of people who are watching this because they often text us afterwards <laughs> whether they got it or not, so hopefully you will. Now, let's look at the Bible guide and listen to what God says. Ezekiel 31, 10 through 18. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because you have increased in height, and it set its top among the thick boughs, and its heart was lifted up in its height, therefore I will deliver it into the hand of the mighty one of the nations, and he shall surely deal with it. I have driven it out for its wickedness. And aliens, the most terrible of the nations, have cut it down and left it. Its branches have fallen on the mountains and in all the valleys. Its boughs lie broken by all the rivers of the land, and all the peoples of the earth have gone from under its shadow and left it. On its ruin will remain all the birds of the heavens, and all the beasts of the field will come to its branches, so that no trees by the waters may ever again exalt themselves for their height, nor set their tops among the thick boughs, that no tree which drinks water may ever be high enough to reach up to them, for they have all been delivered to death, to the depths of the earth, among the children of men who go down to the pit." Thus says the Lord God, In the day when it went down to hell, I caused mourning. I covered the deep because of it. I restrained its rivers, and the great waters were held back. I caused Lebanon to mourn for it, and all the trees of the field wilted because of it. I made the nations shake at the sound of its fall. When I cast it down to hell, together with those who descend into the pit, and all the trees of Eden, the choice and best of Lebanon, all that drink water, were comforted in the depths of the earth. They also went down to hell with it, with those slain by the sword, and those who were its strong arm dwelt in its shadows among the nations. To which of the trees in Eden Will you then be likened in glory and greatness? Yet you shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the depths of the earth. You shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and all his multitude, says the Lord God. 
Ezekiel chapter 31, verses 10 through 18. You know, as we continue through Ezekiel, this gets fascinating. As we get closer to the end, it is really something. Ezekiel 31, 32, and 33. The prophet Ezekiel was living in the shadow of the ancient city of Babylon. This was the capital of the, the most powerful empire in the world at that time. And it would be the work of God to use ancient Babylon to take down all of the nations around. Now, when Egypt, being one of the more powerful nations, fell to Nebuchadnezzar, well, the world knew that something was up. God was speaking. And before the events would even unfold, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the prophet, who would deliver God's message to Pharaoh and to the people of Egypt, that they would be cut down like a great tree. You know, Scripture tells us that hell will be the final destination for the great empire of Egypt. And this word is given before it happens. So God consistently gives warning to everyone in Egypt from a prophet living in ancient Babylon. Can you believe that? I mean, it, it really is stunning how God speaks to these different places. Now, I just want to remind you, take your Bible guide and turn to these passages today. I am so excited to, to speak on Ezekiel 31, 10 to 18 today. It's very good. This is, you can write us or call us or go to Bible Discovery TV and click on it. It'll take you to a page where you can donate. Thank you so much for your donations. And uh, what it'll do is take you to a page where you can download it exactly like it is. Now, here's what we're going to focus on today. The fall of Egypt. 31 is the cut down tree of Egypt. 32, lamentation for Pharaoh and for Egypt. You know, it's amazing how God does these lamentations. And then 33 is the watchman. And everybody talks about the watchman. Where is it? Well, it's in chapter 33. Actually, it's before 33 as well. But that's where they get their idea from Ezekiel. Let's pray. Father, we're going to talk about the fall of Egypt today. And we pray in Jesus' wonderful name that you would help us to hear what you say. This is your word to us. So, Lord, we're going to look at it. We pray that you would hear us or that, that we would hear you, Lord, because that's important. That's very important. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen and amen. Now, here is the scripture. Ezekiel 31, 10 to 13. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have increased in height, and it set its top among the thick burrows, and its heart was lifted up in its height. Therefore, I will deliver it into the hand of the mighty one of the nations, and he shall surely deal with it. I have driven it out for its wickedness, talking about Egypt, and aliens or strangers or people who are not citizens, the most terrible of the nations. I have cut it down and left it. Its branches have fallen out on the mountains and in all of the valleys. Its bows lie broken by all of the rivers of the land. And all of the people of the earth have gone from under its shadow and left it. On its ruin will remain all of the birds of the heavens and all of the beasts of the fields will come into its branches. This, this, is, this is amazing. 
You see, God gives ancient Egypt a word picture of its own death. God gives us before it happens. The Lord makes sure that we understand and learn what he says. Let me tell you something. The people of Egypt probably didn't want to hear that. God makes us understand what our future is. If our future is not serving him, pride about ourselves, pride about what we're doing, pride, you know, we're proud, you know, this country is the greatest country in the world. Have you seen the statistics lately? The last 50 years. We need to pay attention to this because this is important. Ezekiel 31, 14 says, so that no trees by the rivers may ever again exalt themselves for their height, nor set their tops among the thick bows, that no tree which drinks water may ever be high enough to reach up to them. For they have all been delivered to death, to the depths of the earth, among the children of men who go down to the pit. Which brings me to the second point. Egypt is permanently damaged by the judgments of God. We must keep ourselves close to the Lord for healing and help. Let, let me tell you something. It's, it has been said that if God does not judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I believe that. But let me tell you something, that those who love Jesus Christ, those who love the Lord in this country, in the country of Canada, in the country of America, in the West. Those who love the Lord, you need to bring yourself to the Lord now. You need to come out to the Lord now because it's not our nations that will save us. Our nations do not provide salvation. It is exclusively Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says, and that's what I believe. That's my opinion, and I believe it to be true. So we need to think that through and we need to understand that. Get our minds off of this and off of that. Get our mind on God. Now, verses 15 to 18 are interesting. Thus says the Lord God in the day when, we, when it went down to hell, I caused mourning. I covered the deep because of it. I restrained its rivers and the great waters were held back. I caused Lebanon to mourn for it and all the trees of the field wilted because of it. I made the nations shake at the sound of its fall when I cast it down to hell together with those who descend into the pit and all the trees of Eden and the choice and the best of Lebanon. All they, that they drink water there were comforted in the depths of the earth. Interesting. They also went down to hell with it with those slain by the sword and those who were who uh, were its strong arm dwelt in its shadows among the nations. To which of the trees in Eden will you then be likened in glory with greatness? That's a question. Yet you shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the depths of the earth. You shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and all of his multitude, says the Lord God. Brings me to the last point. Once Egypt decided who they would serve, God eliminated them, but they wouldn't serve God. Beloved, we must recognize today the sovereignty of God and his decisions. 
This is not the time to figure out, fool around and say, well, we think this, we think. It's time to come to Jesus Christ. Give yourself to God. Listen, I believe today you need to give yourself to Jesus Christ. If you are serious and you're ready, pray with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me for all my sin, and it's a lot. You are the only one who can forgive them. Help me, Lord, because you died on the cross and rose again. I need you in my life. Come into my life, Holy Spirit. Be with me today in Jesus' name. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Welcome back to the program. Today, my segment is sort of a continuation from yesterday in which we looked back to Satan's deception of Eve through a serpent. And we did that because Ezekiel makes a number of allusions to the Garden of Eden, both to the original garden and to the future garden. But today, I want to do something a little different. I thought it would be really interesting to try and locate this long-lost paradise. Now, there are a lot of different theories and ideas regarding its location, but is this a hopeless pursuit? Well, let's find out. For a great many years, man has searched high and low for the ancient Garden of Eden. And while numerous theories abound, its precise location remains elusive. It causes one to wonder if this Garden of God will ever be found. Interestingly, the biblical, geological, and geographical evidence all seem to suggest that this original garden is truly forever lost. As many theologians and biblical creationists have pointed out, the Genesis flood of Noah's day, which was nothing less than global in extent, completely devastated and rearranged the topography of the earth. So Eden, wherever it was, is probably buried under kilometers of sediment. In addition, Genesis describes a river flowing out of Eden, which divided into four individual rivers. Yet there is no place on earth today that has this unique geological feature not even in Mesopotamia, where many believe Eden lies. Even the Bible itself seems to indicate that Eden was buried. In Ezekiel 31:18, God says to Egypt, To which of the trees in Eden will you then be likened in glory and greatness? You shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the depths of the earth. Although it seems likely that the Garden of Eden won't be excavated by archaeologists anytime soon, if we tease out all the geographical clues possible from Genesis 2, we can arrive at a rough model for Eden. For example, since the single river coming out of Eden breaks up into four rivers, we know that Eden must be higher than the surrounding region, perhaps much higher. This may be one of the reasons why many scholars think that Eden was located atop a mountain. Another reason might be that Ezekiel 28, which is full of Edenic imagery, refers several times to the mountain of God. It also makes sense of Isaiah's Edenic allusions, which identify the future Eden with the mountain of God, which is Mount Zion. Furthermore, as Lita Sanders and Robert Carter point out, a mountain location would also explain how there was apparently only one entrance to Eden that needed to be guarded. All other routes could have been impassable due to the steepness of the terrain 
at other points. Significantly, we see this garden mountain theme outside of the Bible as well. In fact, this fits the later Babylonian, Median, Persian understanding of a garden paradise. For example, the famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon were apparently modeled after the mountainous region of Media. Additionally, early religious buildings from Mesopotamian ziggurats to Egyptian and Mesoamerican pyramids share a mountain-like shape. The idea that the gods were associated with high mountains is almost universal in ancient cultures, to the point where mountains were considered holy places, and ancient people even constructed artificial mountains as places of worship. Even though Eden is now lost, and we can only speculate about what it was like, thankfully God has promised to one day restore this perfect garden paradise for those who love him. So even though the original Garden of Eden is gone, as you saw, we can sort of scripturally reconstruct what it may have been like. And the whole idea of Eden being atop a mountain is really interesting and consistent with the language used in Ezekiel and even Isaiah in their Edenic allusions. And the mountain garden theme is also consistent with extra-biblical evidence as well. Of course, the coming Eden, Mount Zion, is what we believers should really be excited about. God will indeed restore everything back to its perfect Edenic state. And to that I say, praise God. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Ryan. Praise God. Very <laughs> fascinating uh, look at this. And uh, a lot of people have asked the question, where is the Garden of Eden? So that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Really, really interesting. Corey? All right. Well, today I'm looking ahead in our assigned reading just a little bit to Ezekiel chapter 34, but I didn't think it was pushing the envelope too much because what we're talking about is pertinent to things that we've already read, not only in Ezekiel, but also earlier on in the Old Testament. And this is this idea of relating the leadership of a people group, specifically Israel and Judah, to the role of a shepherd. Now, we see this, you know, really consistently if you go back and you look at David and 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 um, we continue on in the prophets, we see this motif used a lot. But in Ezekiel chapter 34, God himself refers to himself as the shepherd of his people, that he will take the place of the false shepherds, of the bad shepherds, of the wayward shepherds, and himself will shepherd his people. So let's take a look at this motif, how it's used in the Bible and how it was used in the ancient world. Christianity has found a useful symbol in the image of the shepherd. Our word pastor is from the Latin meaning shepherd, and it's within the common language of the church to speak of this relationship between a pastor and his congregation as the relationship between a shepherd and his flock. Beyond this, the church as a whole recognizes the image of the good shepherd, that is, as Jesus Christ, as king of the church, its ultimate leader. This image of the Good Shepherd is taken right from the lips of Jesus himself, who in turn was quoting the Jewish prophets of the Old Testament, who in their turn were working off of a popular image in the ancient world. Nearly as far back as written history goes, there exists the motif of kings as shepherds. It was used in ancient Mesopotamia as far back as 3000 BC, the area of the world out of which Abraham was called. The Egyptian pharaohs used a shepherd's staff or crook as one of their royal symbols, and the prophets of Israel and Judah used the metaphor repeatedly. 
In the world of the ancient Near East, this was an obvious metaphor. The pastoral industry, the raising of sheep and goats, was a backbone of society. From these animals, the necessities of life were produced. Meat, milk and resulting dairy products, clothing from their wool and eventual leather. Their horns were used as trumpets or containers to carry things like oil. And sheep were a means to barter or trade with. Sheep were even taken as taxes in organized society. For example, a hundred sheep a day were provided by the citizens of Israel for King Solomon's household and government. And sheep were a central sacrificial animal as outlined by the biblical Mosaic law. The image of kings and leaders as shepherds in the ancient Near East may also be seen with a bit of irony due to the sometimes stigmatized profession that it was. Shepherds were often viewed as uncivilized, always dwelling outside, away from cities, away from protection. They were necessary, but not glamorous. The symbol, however, likely derived from the special relationship that developed between sheep and their shepherd, including the sheep's ultimate trust of the shepherd and their obedience to his or her voice, sending a protective, nurturing message to help solidify a king's power. Biblically, the image of the good shepherd is taken on by Christ himself. Jesus is not only claiming to be the Messiah of Israel, but her true shepherd king as well. This goes a great way in explaining the early Christian artistic representations of Christ, not only as the good shepherd with a sheep on his shoulders, but also generally with a staff in his hands. This image would have evoked the metaphor of the good shepherd and likely doing double duty would have connected him as the bringer of the new covenant with the arbiter of the first covenant on Mount Sinai, the shepherd Moses. So there we go. And obviously we're going to be seeing more of this shepherd king motif as we move into the New Testament with Christ and, and how he, uh, shapes and, and teaches about his role as well. Very interesting. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Corey, uh, we're going to be changing a little bit in the next few months, uh, what in the world is going on? Yes. Okay. Well, if you haven't noticed, which you may not have because we're sitting behind a table, but I am expecting um, my third child uh, very soon, very, very soon. You know, we tape the programs in advance. So we're taping this a few weeks in advance right now. And right now I'm sitting at 34 weeks out of the 40 weeks. So we're getting really close. So pretty soon on the program, you won't see me. I'm going to go as long as I can, but pretty soon on the program, you won't see me uh, just for a few months going to take a few months off to recover and, and get to know this little this little person uh, and then I'll be back. So you that's know, the announcement. <laughs> I, I, I am so thrilled uh, of this child. It's going to be really, really something, Jen, mm -hmm. as we see this child. But uh, you'll be coming back and I want people to know that you'll be back. Yes, I'll be you're back. You're a regular <laughs> part of this program and that's the way it goes. And mm -hmm. so it'll be, we'll have some guests on and some other things happening. So, but in the meantime, maybe you can make a cameo appearance every once in a while. We'll see. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. You never know how it's going to go, right? <laughs> so we'll see. Prayers appreciated for okay. everyone who's praying out there. And also <laughs> your, your wraparound. You're going to do that? 
your wraparounds? Oh, the recaps. Oh, the recaps. the recaps, yes. So Malik and I, my husband Malik and I, we do the chapter by chapter recap. We release it every Saturday on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Corey Babechko. And um, we are working on getting those in advance so that I'm not going to have to skip any but if we do have to push we have we have material we have a plan there's going to be a recap every weekend we have a plan but we're trying right now to tape in advance so that we don't miss anything you know we really try to plan this we do and you know but <laughs> god is the one who knows everything and he knows how it's going to go down but anyway the, the point is that she's going to be back and i look forward to that and i can't wait to see the new child That's yes and remember amazing. to pray for both Corey and the new baby and their family and uh, I would safety. appreciate that a lot. Yes. 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 And Very good. Um, there'll be a lot of us excited and uh, we'll have to post, if not cameo appearances, we will post a picture for sure. Definitely. Yes, for sure. Okay. Now the Bible IQ question, I call it the IQ question because mm -hmm. I it was I, called it that was for years, called for wasn't years. it? Mm -hmm. But I still think of it as the IQ question. But anyway, yes. what in the world All is All right. It? Well, I hope that you're ready. Here we go. Ezekiel lost someone precious to him through death. Who was it that died? So here's the question one more time. Ezekiel lost someone precious to him through death. Who was it that died? Was it his father? Was it his wife? Or was it his child? Who was it that Ezekiel lost? And in fact, God told him that he was not to mourn. It was going to be literally a life lesson to the people of Israel. So who was it that died in Ezekiel's life? They were very precious to him. His father, his wife, or his child. You guys so what like do you, you think? Know the answer. Yeah. We do There's know. a lot of head yeah. nodding. Yeah, I'm going to go with it was definitely his wife. Yes, for sure. All right. Okay, and, so they're going with his wife. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm going to change and say it's his wife. Yeah, you're going to yeah. change that up. Yeah, exactly. It's his wife. All right. Well, I think I've given you ample time at home to make your decision. If you're new through the Bible and you don't get the answer right, that is okay because we are learning together. Now, Ezekiel lost someone precious to him through death who died. Was it his father? No. Was it his child? No. It, in fact, was his wife. Ezekiel 24, verse 18. We always need to check up and make these make sure that the answers that I give are the true ones. Ezekiel 24, 18. This is Ezekiel speaking. So I spoke to the people in the morning and at evening, my wife died. So there you go. That and is that the answer to that That was called the desire of his eyes. Yes. And he lost, he was not allowed to mourn. That's right. And God used this as an example to show Israel. And he said, this is going to be an example. And it was mm -hmm. because Jerusalem was lost as well. And uh, so very, very interesting. Uh, anyway. Let's carry on. You know, there's a lot of people who are not living like they should. They say they serve the Lord, but do they really? Perhaps they're only serving themselves. Perhaps we are not considering our decisions. And we need to pray about that today. Father, in Jesus' name, forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, and forgive us where we have been wrong. 
Help us to learn to serve you. We're going to turn towards you and follow you now. But we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.